Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right, there it is. Drum roll, please. No drum roll necessary. You see it. Right in, <laughs> stop that. You see it right in front of you. The first eight picks from the Chris Sims 2022 mock draft. Aiden Hutchinson, definitely an against the current pick, Chris. In recent days, Trayvon Walker has become the betting favorite right. to be the first overall pick. Peter King made Trayvon Walker his yeah. number one. I don't know what the Jaguars are doing with that first overall pick. They're down to four guys. Right. Owner Shad Khan says they're going to meet Wednesday. They're still talking about it. I think Doug Peterson wants what's a tackle. I think he wants a tackle. Yes, right. You're right about that, Mike. This is what's cool about this draft. I wish everybody would like give it a little more love because I know we don't have the quarterbacks that go one, two, three. But I do think there's some really interesting discussions, and we're sitting here three days, two days over the draft. We don't know who the number one pick's going to be. That's rare. That doesn't happen much any, anymore in the NFL, let alone it's down to four guys. Yeah, I went with Aiden Hutchinson. I don't know. I hear the rumors too, you know, but I haven't had anybody like just like where I go, oh, well, I believe that person, so I'm going to definitely put Trayvon Walker one. I went with Aiden Hutchinson there, fully realizing that it was a toss-up between him, Trayvon Walker, the two tackles, um, but but – Yes. I mean, you talk to people in the know in the NFL, it sounds like it's a real thing. No question about it. The tackle conversation, people in the organization want the pass rusher. One of those two guys, it seems like Trayvon Walker's in the lead there, but Doug Peterson's probably going, wait, I I want a team to the Super Bowl because we had an offensive line that could just steamroll anybody with size and power. So he's trying to get his offense to that point. And I understand that. And you know, gosh, if I had to switch it up right now, I'd probably that some of the things I heard over the last 24 hours, I think I'd probably want to change it to one of the tackles at the number one pick, which is going to throw all this all this, you know, for a loop. And who knows where it goes? It's going to make things interesting. That's one of the reasons why I've gotten to the point after 20 years where the mock draft is useless, because one pick screws up everything. Sure. But and that's if the Jaguars great. do pivot. 
to a tackle. You can say great. I can say other words with one fewer letter. But um, I digress. The I, I If I do mine, and I've got one ready, and what I do is I, 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 I know somebody that I trust that, that, that puts it together and – it's an annual tradition, and I'm tempted to tinker with it, and I try not to tinker with it. I don't want to start doing it because it just gets complicated. But but I'll tell you this. It's one of the tackles at number one Yeah. if I, if I pull the sheet off of this one. And it has been. And I was surprised when I got it over the weekend. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I started doing the research and looking at some of the things Doug Peterson has said. And you look at his history. Yeah. Think back to 2013. Yeah. Because th- there's only been – a tackle taken number one overall three times since Ron Yeri in 1968, Orlando Pace in 97, Good Jake one. Long in 2008, and Eric Fisher in 2013. Well, that year it was Eric Fisher who was – it took him a little while to find his footing. Yeah. Not quite a bust, but it took him a while. Yeah. Luke Jokel by the Jaguars at number two, bust. And then it was Lane Johnson at number four to the Eagles, as you mentioned. And they killed it. Helped Doug Peterson right. win a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, it's those – unsexy picks that lay the foundation for a championship team. And the idea of, you know, you got Cam Robinson barring an extension. You got him for one more year at the franchise tag number next year. They're not going to do it. You got Brandon Brandon Scherf picked up at guard. You can put in an Evan Neal at at guard for a year, kick him out to tackle next year. You're, you're doing what you, you need to do to get the most out of your two first round picks from last year. Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. No doubt. No, you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of you know logic and value in that. There's no question about it. Where I just go and what what I didn't do, you know, again, Cam Robinson's pretty good. Am I sitting here going he's one of the five best tackles in football? No, he's not that. But he's pretty damn good. You don't just give him away for nothing. He's a starting left tackle in the NFL. So I where I went to the pass searcher because they have him. They drafted a tackle last year in the second round out of Stanford, Walker Little, who missed the year before because of COVID, but was really a top 20 in the draft talent. And just that, that's why he ended up being the second round. So I just looked at it and went, wait, they have some assets there already. But, hey, I, I hear you. you. got a new coach. This is what he wants. Let's go with it. But now that's where it gets interesting. I mean, now you get into, whoa, the Lions going to have to make a decision now. Oh, you got the home hometown kid, Michigan kid. Aiden Hutchinson sitting there at number two, you know, and I had the Texans, you know, at the tackle position there. Hey, I mean, I don't know. What are they going to do now that if if Jacksonville takes a tackle at one and now Walker or Hutchinson are on the board at three, what do they do? Uh, that they, they have a need for an edge guy, and those guys are difference makers on that side. But they use they can use the O-line too. So uh, this is, to me, where it's, it is interesting. And we're going to see where it's going to go. The fact of that first pick, the quarterback conversation, and does Malik Willis go to Atlanta at number eight? Is Carolina in the weeds? And then, Mike, two guys to me that are also the, the, the jokers of the draft are Derek Stingley from LSU and Kayvon Thibodeau, where there is a group of people that think they're a top 10 pick. And I would say most of the league – does not think Kayvon Thibodeau is. Derek Stingley is the guy we talked about from LSU who was great two years ago, but it's gotten worse ever since. And you know, there's a lot of talk about them going to the top 10, which could be another curveball in this draft. And that's where, to me, are the, the storylines that I'm very interested in that first hour of the draft. Kayvon Thibodeau yeah. has the potential 
to benefit from sort of the Michael Thomas effect where you slide and it gives you, and Tom Brady to a certain extent, but he's not going to fall like Tom Brady did, but that indignity of not being drafted as high as you would like to be drafted lights a fire under your ass that forces you to spend every waking moment proving everyone wrong and it lasts for your entire career. That could be the best thing that happens to him because that would address the concerns that are fueling a potential slide. The higher he gets drafted, the the, the less that potential inferno rages within him yeah. and carries him to tremendous heights. And I think that's one of the factors we overlook when it comes to the draft. Guys who do get humbled by the process can end up becoming much better players because they enter their career, not with a sense of entitlement, but with a sense of raw determination that every day, every minute, every rep, every practice, everything, every meeting, it's about proving everyone wrong. And you sink your teeth into that and you never let it go. Yeah, no, hopefully that's what happens. Yes. I mean, you know, again, I I feel bad for him in a lot of ways because he got propped up as just this number one pick all year. And that's not going to happen. There's no way. You know, there's no way he's going to go in the top five, in my opinion. There's no way he'll be one of the three first pass rushers off the board. That's just a real – There's he is not in the class of Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, or John, uh, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Those will be the three guys. I'm very confident in that fact. But, yeah, Hutchinson, hey, it's – you know, the team I do is Seattle at nine. I look at them. Would they be interested in Kayvon Thibodeau or Derek Stinley? Uh, from LSU, going to be interesting there altogether, you know. But yeah, uh, we're talking about a really good player. I just think it was a little overhyped as far as when he was talked about being drafted. And Mike, I, 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 I you know, most teams, and you know, I got a lot of friends around the NFL. I, I mean, a lot of teams I talk to, nobody's got him in the top three or four pass rushers. So I expect him to be there for your Minnesota Vikings at twelve. Maybe he falls even farther than that, but there's a chance you guys could get him and pair him with Daniel Hunter, and that could be pretty damn good. Well, they do have Zadarius Smith, but that's a one-year, let's yeah, see right. if his back can hold together. It's yep. not a long-term play by any means. You know, if Trayvon Walker is the Jaguars' first pick, I think the easiest dart to throw in round one at the top of the draft is Aiden Hutchinson to the Lions because – you want people to show up no doubt. for your games. Right. And there is a business component to this. Yeah. So if if all things are relatively equal between Aiden Hutchinson and whoever else they would take, Hutchinson's got the built-in local fan base. You get more people excited. There's a buzz that develops. We're keeping Aiden Hutchinson here in Michigan that, that I think, goes a long way toward making that a no-brainer pick for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that logic, too. He seemed like he'd fit that, that Dan Campbell mantra, tough, you know, does all things really well. He's a hell of a freaking football player. So for them to get him at number two would be unbelievable. I mean, him or Trayvon Walker. Walker's a little bit more of a projection, but I think both are phenomenal, game-changing, defensive-changing type of talents. Hutchinson, yeah, for the reasons you talked about, he's got a cult following up there coming out of Michigan wearing number 97. So that is going to put butts in the seats, and uh, it'll be interesting. It really will be. But, yeah, with, with the Jaguars going maybe tackle that first pick, Um, That can certainly change some things around in this top 10. 
Um, so you mentioned Thibodeau, a guy who yeah. could potentially slide. Derek Stingley as well. Anybody else? Anybody else that you got your eyes on that may end up sitting around well, waiting longer than expected? Well, not that, I, that, but to me, here's another one I look at: Jamison Williams, right? I mean, I got him going ten to the Jets. Is he gonna? I mean, if Atlanta doesn't go quarterback at eight, would they think Jamison Williams? I'd be scared of that if I'm the Jets. Jamison Williams is a top five pick in the NFL draft. He's every bit as good as Devontae Smith was last year, except he just had an ACL tear in the national championship game. So he is the best receiver. Teams, uh, you know, again, most of the teams I talk to, almost everybody has him as the number one guy. Almost everybody. So that's where I just I go, where, where does that happen? What happens with him? Because I think he is by far the guy that could be the biggest superstar in the draft. You know, but it is the ACL, you know, and how long can you wait or how long will he stay on the board? I think that's another interesting one just to see kind of how that plays out. I was talking to somebody yesterday. He's got a level of speed that comes around right. every five to seven it's, years. It's rare. And and if you're comfortable with the ACL. Yeah. You should be. Why hesitate? If you're the exactly. Jets, you got four and you got ten. Go. That's why I'm, if, if you're the Jets – and this is the guy you want. Now, again, I still continue to be concerned the Jets spend too much time building from the outside in, not the inside out. But if you need a target to help diversify the performance of Zach Wilson and boost that pick, which GM Joe Douglas recently said on the Michael K show, he's 100% sure that there's greatness in the future of Zach Wilson. If that's the kind of guy you need and you're confident in the knee, don't play games. Take him at four. Take him and run. I, I would do that because I, you're going to get jumped before you can get him at number 10. I would be scared. That would be something that certainly would be, you know, across in my mind. And I agree with your logic. It, 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 first off, it, it's not about the is, how good is he going to be the first four or five games, right? I mean, it's, it's really the long play. It's like it's year two. We want him and Zach Wilson to just take off and just take over. And they're not desperate. They got Corey Davis. They got Elijah Moore they drafted in the second round last year. You know, they got some other guys. Braxton Berrios did a good job for them last year as well. So they, they're not like desperate at receiver to where they need him day one. To me, that's the guy that, yeah, you got a future with where you go, ooh, wow. Uh, and yes, that's going to be something that, that I'll certainly have my eye on there. It's just Jamison Williams. Where does he last? How long does he last? He's definitely one of those guys that uh, can change things around in this top ten. I think he's going to go higher than 10. He's yeah, going to go do. in the top 10 and not number 10. It's just a question of where and whether or not the Jets just say, the hell with it. We want this guy. We take this guy. We're not going to screw around. If he works out, who cares if you took him at four instead of 10? Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah. You got, yeah. A, you got a coin flip on all these guys. Right. Rem reminder, friendly reminder, before we get too caught up in the hype of draft week, it's a coin flip proposition. If you think that you've got a coin that you know is going to land heads and you want it to land heads, don't mess around. Go well, go get it. Here's the one question I'll raise to you. What if you also got that you know same thing you're talking about on Sauce Gardner, right? And you're going, wait, or, or maybe a pass rusher they like here. You know, Maybe they like the kid from Florida State. You know, that, that to me is their three needs. So what if you do got that same type of grade on Sauce Gardner like you're talking about Jameis Williamson where you go, man, we love this guy. This is the guy. 
You know, that's that's where, yeah, it's you're going to have to make your money. And hopefully your well, research and how the board might fall and all of that really can match up to maybe where you can take that calculated chance. And it's not just that. It's who else is there. Yeah, yeah, right. If I, right. If I don't get Sauce Gardner. Yeah. Who, who else is there? Who am I going? Yeah, I would take. Yeah. Right. Because and then I can fill both needs. But who's more easily replaceable? Yes. If that's, I don't take that guy now. Right. That's that's the the real question. Yeah. Um, that and then it's it's the blessing and the curse of having two picks in the top 10. The Jets are going to have to figure out which position to prioritize with four and which one to be patient with at 10. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the quarterbacks as assessed by Chris's mock draft. How many will go in round one? Who will be waiting? Where will they land? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. All right, here we go. Our, part- our partners at PointsBet have cooked up a contest that you won't find at any other sports book. The PointsBet, perfect 10 Presented by yours truly, that's right, me, Chris Sims, that good-looking guy on the screen there. Why Perfect 10, you ask? a little puffy in that photo. A little puffy, you're right. That's a late on a Sunday night, too. I don't know why I'm so puffy. A lot of munchies. A lot of munchies. (laughs) Because why do you say Perfect 10, you ask? Because that's exactly what you'll need to be. Perfect. And selecting picks 1 through 10 on Thursday night. And if you're perfect, you can win $100,000 in free bets from PointsBet. Go to pointsbet.com or download the app to play. And hey, get in. Get in there, Mike. Do a, do a mock. See if you can win some money from PointsBet. And we'll go from there. I don't there. think we're eligible. Oh, I don't darn think we're it. eligible. Darn it. Secondly, secondly, the potential combinations, the odds. Yes. It's, it's, it's amazing. I'd like to change and- mine today. I mean, today, after some of the things I've heard in the last 24 hours and all that, uh, now I'm going, man, I think Jacksonville is going to take the tackle. I'd like to change it. So you're right. It's it's a tough one, but it's a lot of fun. I do like it. Something it, I wrote over the weekend, yeah. too, and I think we talked about it yesterday briefly when Tom Kern was in. You know, I don't know how concerned the NFL is and how proactive it's going to be about handling inside information or what's known in the corporate world as material non-public information. This is an exercise that is rife with inside information. Because there's no game to be played. People know who they're going to draft. People know who they like. There's inside information to be had. How will it be handled by teams? How will it be misappropriated? How will it be used to get an ad? It's not getting all 10 right, but just generally. Yeah. Just generally speaking, there's so many different wagers available on who goes where and when. And there's so much information out there. Somebody who has access to the truth about some of these teams, I just... The NFL needs to really think about what it has to do to crank down to keep that from corrupting this multi-billion dollar industry that the NFL is now neck deep in. So we'll see how that plays out. And yeah. what will happen is there'll be a scandal at some point and I'll be like, oh, God, we never knew this could happen. Well, you should have known it could happen because the inside information drives the draft process. All right. The quarterbacks usually drive the draft discussion. This year, not as much. There was a period of time where it's like, okay, the quarterbacks aren't great. Well, but you know what? Teams still need them, so they're going to draft them high anyway. Yeah, now we're back at the point where they still won't. But who knows what's going to happen? John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, pointed out last week it was 2011. Jake Locker, eight. 
Blaine Garrett, 10. Christian Ponder, 12. Bust, bust, bust. Teams who need quarterbacks talk themselves into it because where else are you going to find yeah. a potential franchise quarterback? Yeah, you're right. That's what. Hey, listen, it's confusing for me, a guy that follows this and is all into it. I just want to go, well, if those guys can be drafted there. If Blake Bortles can be drafted at three, then why can't these guys be drafted in the top ten? I mean, that, that is, but I do all think – All it takes is one. It all it takes, all it is takes one. is one. You're right. It takes one. And I also think that, you know, maybe the NFL has learned to a degree that, like, wait, wait, we, you know – you know, we, we don't have to, you know, go all in at that guy right there if we don't feel the value to, from the examples of Ponder and all that. I think there are some teams that are a little weary. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. It is. And I only got two guys going. I got Malik, at tw- Malik Willis at 20, and then I got down to the end of the round, and I was thinking about trades and what could happen here and everything. I got to Detroit at 32. And I went, I, you know, again, I have no inkling of where they're thinking or what they're thinking at quarterback. I just thought, oh, okay. It's, I felt like Kenny Pickett would be more their cup of tea than Matt Corral. I, I, you know me. I tro- wholly believe Corral is way more talented than Kenny Pickett. But I just went that trying to connect the dots there. And I thought about maybe, hey, at 31, would a team – like the Falcons trade up maybe with the Bengals or somebody and try to get a Matt Corral or somebody left on the board. I thought about it, uh, but, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I kind of left it as is, and uh, I don't know if I feel like there's going to be a team that trades up late in the second round to make that kind of move. Corral strikes me as the kind of guy that there may be a team out there that secretly loves yes. him and will find out I when think they make so. their move. I think so. You know so. what I mean? Right. Agreed. Corral, uh, I know this, Mike, that I had a lot of people when I did my quarterback rankings at least text me to go, you know, man, I, I like Corral's film a lot too. He's got some things about him. He's, it's eye-popping the talent. Now, you know, hey, there's other factors that all play into this and everything I understand. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. But to me – Again, that's the guy that I look at to go out of this group. If you had to ask me who can be special, who can be that guy that we can go, whoa, did he really just do that four times in that game? I think it's Matt Corral followed by Malik Willis. Uh, But, yes, it seems like there's very little buzz about Corral. And just reading the tea leaves, it doesn't feel like he's going to go in the first round. Of course, I believe he's worthy of that. You know that. But, yes, it just doesn't feel that way just from rumors and things you hear in the NFL. It was five years ago. We entered the draft process. Nobody really knows where the quarterbacks are going to go, who's going to be first. There were five or six prospects who were regarded as first-round possibilities. Deshaun Watson was the guy who Debo Swinney was saying, if you pass on him, you're passing on Michael Jordan. He lasted all the way until number 12 when the Texans traded up to get him. But with Patrick Mahomes, like let's just remember that. Patrick Mahomes was not the consensus number one overall pick. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew what was there, and the teams that loved him kept their mouths shut. The Chiefs, the Saints, not that Mike McCarthy was going to make the move, but he was another one who was on board, I'm told, with the whole Patrick Mahomes phenomenon. But the Saints were ready to draft him. Yeah, it's Chris Sims was ready to draft him, too. Drew Brees walks into the draft room. And Sean well, Payton has separately told this story since then. Walks into the draft room as they're getting ready to possibly take Patrick Mahomes. They had to go tell him. He's there with friends from Purdue. Hey, hey, Drew. There's a chance. <laughs> Drew, just, just so you're aware, there's a chance we may be taking 
a quarterback here. That's how close it came. And the key is, and, and this is what, what the, the great disconnect. If you can manage to keep it quiet, nobody really knows. And then you deploy your plan on draft night, which is one of those things that we love because it turns everything upside down. We love it and we hate it because we think we know, and then we find out we don't know yeah. when something like that happens. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. It's, 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 it's awesome. You know, it was. That was one of the shockers of all shockers right there. That was one of those, Mike, again, I mean, um, you know, I, I was one that was going Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the draft. And I was going, I mean, I know I'm crazy, and I'm not trying to say I sit here and I'm right about all this stuff, but that was one of the things that I was very adamant about that year. He is the best player in the draft. I also started to question when I got to, like, pick six and seven. I go, man, I mean, I guess the NFL doesn't agree. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong here and just an idiot. That certainly crossed my mind. Uh, but then there came the Chiefs, and Patty Mahomes saved the day from there. But it, it's, it's uh, the quarterback market, that conversation is not going to be the same this year. To me, more of the conversations this year is teams keeping it under wraps about some of these other guys and where, you know, I think the wide receiver conversation is very interesting because I think what I know from around the NFL, too, is I think everybody, if you ask everybody who's the top five receivers in the draft, like we talked about earlier, I think most people, most of the NFL has Jamison Williams as number one, clearly. But I think if you guys for the rest of the order, I think everybody would have it all over the place. And that's where, you know, you want to be quiet in this draft. If you got your eye on a receiver and you're hoping he falls to the late teens, early 20s, hopefully this team has this guy ranked higher than that guy. You know, that's where I think this draft could be interesting kind of in the mid part of the first round, Mike. Well, and when you've got the Packers who traded away Devontae Adams and have two first-round picks, number 22 and number 28, and the Chiefs mm-hmm. who traded away Tyree Kill and have number 29 and number 30. That's where it gets compelling because we know the Chiefs, led by Andy Reid, Brett Veach does a fine job as the GM, but Andy Reid is running the show there. When they come up with a plan, they find a way to implement it, they keep their mouths shut about it, and this chess match between the Packers and the Chiefs to replace their number one receivers. I think there's a greater urgency for the Packers to find a number one target. The Chiefs, I think they're going to make good with whatever they have. Yeah, right. But the Packers... They got to. I think, as, as the And remember, remember, two years ago, two years ago, they wanted Justin Jefferson, gone. They wanted Brandon Ayuk. They got jumped by the 49ers. And so then, plan C wasn't take the next receiver on the list. It was trade up to draft a quarterback, and that lit the fuse on two years of dysfunction. I think that that they're going to be influenced by that. And I think they're going to start thinking about when are the Chiefs going to jump us mm-hmm. and do we jump first? How high do we go from 22 to get a guy that that is slipping through the teens that we think the Chiefs will go get before we do and we're going to regret it? That, to me, once we get through the first 10, that is when that – that contest between the Packers and the Chiefs to position themselves to get replacements for their receivers they traded away becomes fascinating because I could see the Packers thinking we've got to get up to 14, 15, wherever before the Chiefs do it. I, I, I hear you. I mean, it's, it's, it's a desperate need for the, for the Packers. So like what you're saying, you know, I, I do think it's more desperate for them than the Chiefs. The Chiefs, I think, have a good enough all-around you know, receiver room to be okay with it. 
But I think there's certain guys, again, that if they fell in their lap or they might have a fancy of one or two of these guys they look at are just better. And, Mike, to throw even more into that conversation, you know, what you're talking about. I had Chris Olave going to the Packers. I feel like he's one of the most polished, ready-to-go guys. In the, but, you know, to, even to what you're saying, Chiefs, Packers, all of that, the other two teams that we got to worry about, at least if you're them, the Saints, i got to think with one of those two picks are thinking receiver. they got to. I mean, they got nothing at receiver on their football team. You know, Michael Thomas is coming back, but there's no proven commodities or anybody that you can look at to go, I think they're going to break out this year and this will be a big-time year. I I don't think you can roll the dice on that. The Eagles are another team, Mike. Two picks there in the teens where I go, I certainly could see them wanting a quarterback. No question about it. And that's where it gets interesting for the Packers especially you know, who, like we, like you said, are a little bit more desperate than Kansas City. Kansas City has more of the history of being aggressive and making a move for a guy they want, and that's what would scare me if I'm Green Bay for sure. You know, it occurred to me while we were watching those highlights, and you mentioned Chris Olave, I hope he becomes a star. I hope he becomes a guy with whom you become smitten because when you're ready to do a Chris Olave song, something to the tune of Volare would be perfect for Olave. Keep that in mind. Oh, not premature. He's got to earn the song first. Got to. But Volare, Olave, just file that away. But wait, he's got to prove it. All right, well, hold on. What song are we talking about here? Volare. Like, Whoa. I think. Olave. I, Olave. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I, I, yeah. think I do. Yes. Yeah. That's an old song, There's, but I think I got it's it. It's an old song. Yes. It's an old song, and it's also the cornerstone of a scene from a film known as Hollywood Nights. Oh. Hollywood Nights. of Volare and something else. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember. I know I've seen Hollywood about Nights, break. but I can't remember that. Not, there, not a very timer. good movie. All right. It was one of those movies where, at the time, this is awesome. This is great. It was like Caddyshack level. And then as time goes by, it didn't hold up as well as Caddyshack did. But still, New Bomb Turk sings Volare in Hollywood Nights. Google that, folks. Watch it on YouTube during the break. And we'll be back with the latest on the situation with the Washington Commanders and Deshaun Watson when PFT Live continues right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, some investigations are happening regarding the Washington Commanders. Look, it needs to be investigated. The allegations can't be any more conflicting than they currently are. You've got a 24-year employee of the team, Jason Friedman, no longer works there, making allegations of financial impropriety. You've got the team saying it's false, it's fake, it's made up. He's not even in a position to know. So somebody's got to look into it. Virginia Attorney General looking into the financial impropriety. Last night, D.C. Attorney General sent out a statement. We got a copy of it that... They've been looking at the Washington Commanders since last year, not just for the financial issues that have come to light recently, but also the workplace harassment issues. So D.C. Attorney General quietly investigating, not quietly anymore, 
Virginia looking into it. Maryland hasn't said whether or not it's doing anything. Federal Trade Commission, which received the letter set two weeks ago by the House Oversight Committee, hasn't said anything about it. Again, the team came out last week very aggressively, shouting from the rooftops their innocence on the financial side. There's still the other side, the workplace side, that started all of this. There's definitely a there there on the workplace side. There's something there. Otherwise, Daniel Snyder would officially be day-to-day in control of the Washington Commanders. But, Chris, this isn't going away, and it's all self-inflicted if it's true that Snyder was behind the leak of the John Gruden emails. Because until those John Gruden emails come out, this isn't even... Yeah, it's not even a thing. It's not even a thing. And right. now it's a thing, all because somebody decided they were going to take out John Gruden last October. Yeah, now it's 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 past a thing. It's like, you know, I don't even know how to, to phrase it. It's just like, oh, crap, you got everybody looking into you now. I, to me, it's just like this This is, to me, the beginning of the end. That's at least what it looks like. And, you know, and again, I don't know, and I we know we don't know all the facts and everything there, but I just feel like now the spotlight is on in too many areas it's not going to just be like, oh, we can deal with this bad PR and media for a week or two and people forget about it. it it's gone past that point. It became a national issue last week. It became a national issue. It's on you know, government officials' radars across the country with the NFL in a lot of different ways. And, of course, right here in you know, the Washington, D.C. area, it seems like they're all over it. So, to me, this is the beginning of the end. And, you know, again, I don't know where it goes or how long it takes, but uh, it just seems like, hey, there's a lot of – there's smoke, there's fire, and there seems like there's a lot of smoke down there in Washington. And there's the stuff we know about, the attorney general investigations we know about, what they need to worry about. It's the stuff that we don't know about because when the feds are involved, when federal prosecutors are on the scene, they'll convene the secret grand jury and nobody knows anything until indictments start getting handed down or handed up, whatever the case may be. We know about the Deshaun Watson situation, 22 pending civil lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct during massage sessions. We know there aren't going to be any trials during football season, but There's a fight now looming over an effort to spend five days questioning Deshaun Watson in some of these 22 cases in early May. And Watson's camp has fought back saying, hey, look, he's in Cleveland. He's got obligations with the Browns. It's the offseason program. And a judge is going to have to decide what to do here. Now, the judge is going to be unhappy. I know from experience. When the parties can't work out discovery disputes, that's what this is. It's a dispute over where a deposition is going to be taken. And disputes come up. What documents do you want? And you've got an obligation to try to work it out. The judge doesn't want to get involved. The judge is not paid by hour. The judge is not paid by case. The judge is paid, as Michael Scott would say, by year. So there's no incentive. There's no bonus. There's no extra for getting involved in these disputes that come up from time to time, and it's always incumbent on the parties to work it out. And this feels like something they should be able to work out. Look, the guy wants to be involved in the offseason program. Can't we just do this in June after the OTAs end? Can't we just do this when he's otherwise not working? He's working in May. Can't we work this out and do it at a time when he's available. I'd like to think the parties can cooperate. If they're cooperating on this idea that the cases aren't going to go to trial during football season, why can't they cooperate on when the guy's going to be questioned under oath in Texas? Do it when the Browns aren't in session. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think it's that hard to figure out. And even in like May, there's a lot of times where you got like a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. You know, as an NFL football player, you've done your work Monday through Thursday, and you might have a long way. So they they can find five days. Like, get out of here. The thing I wonder, Mike, is, you know, if I'm Deshaun Watson and all that, do you want to even do a deposition before the season? You know, what I would be scared about and what I would think about it, they're thinking about it a little bit is, oh, right, oh, great, we do, we do five hours or five days of testimony. You know, we're just getting people used to Cleveland and Deshaun Watson being there. And then, okay, we're going to go do the five days of testimony and what? So Busby can release it? And make things more confusing in Cleveland and they can release some of the answers and all of that to where it, it makes it harder for the Browns and Deshaun Watson to go, you know, smooth things over there in Cleveland. That's what I'd be worried about a little if I'm Watson's camp. But here's the problem. Yeah. The deposition must be done well in advance of trial. The deposition is the opportunity for the lawyer to ask a bunch of questions right. and basically to operate without a net. You don't want to get in front of a jury. It gives you a net. So when you do go to the jury, you're not operating without a net. You've talked to the guy. You know how they say, good lawyer knows the answer to every question before it's asked. Yeah. You know the answer to every question you're going to ask at trial because you've already asked all the possible questions at a deposition where you don't worry about how a jury's going to react if you push too far or if it comes out like a stupid question. You're fishing around. You're trying different things. You're just trying to drill down on the facts. You need to be able to do that well in advance of trial. So if the case are going to go to trial next year, Got to do the depositions now, and he's already done some of them. Yeah. He's already done some. Yeah. When you're sued by 22 people, you know what that means? Yeah. You get questioned 22 times yeah. in depositions. So th- this is all the more reason that before the trade was accomplished, before the $230 million fully guaranteed contract was signed, you settle these cases. You don't want this cloud hanging over the Browns. Now you're a Browns fan. you got to worry he's going to miss a full week of the offseason program. Well, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just stuff you don't want to worry about and stuff that Watson shouldn't put the fan base in a position where they have to worry about. Should have settled the cases and all the more reason to settle them ASAP. If you're Busby, I know, I mean, again, I, I don't know. How much time do you usually need, you know, between de- de- deposition testimony and all that between you go to a trial? I mean, would a month do or? No, you need more need than that. Need more than you that? More okay. Than that. All right. Because you may need to do some follow-up based right. upon what the guy says. You, you, th- want, you want a year, nine months to a year. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. That's good to know. All right. So, like, do, do, can you, can you, if you think you're Deshaun Watson right now with, with the, the life scenario you're involved in, can you say, okay, I'll do the testimonies, but you can't release any of the footage right now or at this no. point? Do you think Donny Busby get... would ever go with that? I mean, or does that make no sense for him? There's, there's no protective order in place for the cases, yeah. and why would Busby agree to that? This yeah, is part of his not. leverage to create settlement value. What they need to do, get everybody in a room, find a retired judge that Tony Busby respects. Find somebody that Tony Busby will listen to. There's always somebody that that someone else will listen to find that person because you got to be able to get through to Watson, but you also got to be able to get through to Busby. Busby's got a tiger by the tail and he is yanking. He knows he's got settlement value. He knows that he can get more money for his clients because there is an urgency to resolve these cases. And you need to get him to set that aside and realize if you push it too far, you're going to go to trial with some cases that maybe aren't that strong. Or you're going to have a hard time getting a, a positive outcome for your clients. The sooner they get everybody together yeah. and do this. And if, if I'm the judge, when they bring this stupid dispute over when he's going to testify into my courtroom, 
I'm saying, here's what we're going to do. June 20th. Here's the person who's doing it. I've done my research. I've done my homework. I think I know who the right person is. Here's the person who's presiding over a mass mediation. It will happen that day. And you hope that that that's the occasion where everybody settles the case because that definitely needs to happen. What needs to happen now is we're going to take a break. A quick draft when we return of the GMs we would like to be during the 2022 draft. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Simsisms. Soothe it over. All you can do is kind of massage it and hope you can soothe it over to a degree. Um, but you know yeah. it's smooth, not soothe. You do know that, right? Smooth, soothe, whatever. You said it the last first time I let it go, even though I knew I was going to get ten emails from people saying right. there's a new Simsism. Right. I let it go that time. I just want to do it now because I don't want my email box to be flooded, and Fine. it will be yes. with the fact that I let you get away with a Simsism. Well, it really is. I, I'm going to keep saying it that way, so everybody <laughs> can just back off. All right. Oh, yes. Just soothe it over, Soothing man. It over. Soothe, soothe it. it over. All right, we got to get to it because we talked too much earlier in the program. Today's draft, the general managers you would like to be during this draft. Chris, you're up. Well, it's hard not to like I, – I, I, I guess the first one I'll, I'm going to go with is uh, Joe Shane and the New York Giants. I mean, you got two picks there in just prime territory, five and seven. You're just guaranteed to get in a draft where there's not a lot of like superstar talent. There is a consensus that there's about 10 or 12 guys that are clearly above the rest or the safest picks and going to be the top 10 guys. And the Giants are assured of just being in the wheelhouse for basically addressing any of the positional needs they they deem necessary. Tackle, pass rusher, whatever. You know, they should be sitting in a pretty good spot to get both done or whatever they need to get done in the, uh, at those two five and seven picks. I'll go with Brad Holmes, yeah. the Lions GM, because mm-hmm. you got number two and you got number 32. So you got a lot of focus on what you're going to do right out of the gates. You know there's only going to be one name that's taken off the board before you're up. So you get that taken care of. Sit back and relax a little bit. Watch how it all plays out. And then there you are at 32. And who knows what you'll do at 32. Maybe you get a trade offer that you yeah, really like. Somebody right. wants to spring back in and get a quarterback, or maybe you're going to take a quarterback. So you're 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 busy, but your work is at both ends of the night, and you kind of get to sit back and watch it play out in between. But you're going to come out of it with it, you know, with with maybe just one at the end of the day. Maybe you're going to pick up an extra first round pick next year by giving up pick number thirty two to somebody that wants to come get Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, or Matt Corral. We've seen sure. that before. Lamar Jackson yeah. in twenty eighteen, Teddy Bridgewater in twenty fourteen. Somebody makes that move to get pick number thirty two and snatch a quarterback before round one ends. Yeah, I hear you. And then Detroit's got pick thirty four to go along with it. So they got some stuff to toy with there. And if they want to make a move and get up into the early twenties or something like that. I'm with you. I, I thought about going them one um uh, because, hey, again, it, it, as it looks right now, they're going to have the pick of the best non-tackle in the draft, and they don't need a tackle. So to them, they're sitting there going, we get the best, we get the best player in the draft for, for what they need, and they got to be excited about that nonetheless. All right, the Jets are going to be the next one I go with Joe Douglas. Yeah, Joe Douglas, I mean, pick four, you get whoever you want pretty much, great. Pick ten? Yeah, maybe not the guy you want going to be there. I don't know. Maybe he is. There's that. So that's great. Maybe you get the guy you want at 10. 
nonetheless, I think you're kind of in the spot to where you might start to get some trade action too about like, oh, wait, we, this team wants to get up to get this receiver or this guy right now and get it over with to where you can accumulate more picks and maybe on later on in the first round or next year like you just talked about with Detroit. So I look at them, again, the two New York teams to be in quite the power position with four picks in the top ten. I'd want to be Mickey Loomis, Saints GM, with 16 and 19, especially because if the Steelers don't move – there's an opportunity to get value in giving up the 19th pick to somebody who wants to jump them to take one of the quarterbacks. And even though we're not going to know what the Steelers are going to do until it's time for them to do it, the idea that I could dangle 19 and maybe maybe get a first-round pick back next year or just get other assets now, there's value in that 19th pick because it's right before the team that we're all looking at saying they may be eyeballing. Yeah. Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett pretty seriously, Chris. Yeah, no question. Yeah, they are. They're, they're in a spot there where, again, I think we get into it a little bit of uh, you know, the wide receiver conversation. Maybe tackles are running off the board. Oh, no, a team needs to get their tackle. They want to get it. Or the quarterback thing there to where, yeah, there's a lot of – there's multiple angles that can go at that spot of the draft. And uh, I'm with you. Mickey Loomis sitting pretty. Let's take a break. We'll do round three of the draft of the GMs we'd most like to be during this draft when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, the GMs we would most like to be in the 2022 draft. There are the first two rounds. Round three. Chris, you're up. Well, I'm going to go, you know, I, I know, you know, Howie Roseman and they got the, the picks and the teens and all that. And they're obviously in a good spot. But I'm, I want to go with, with Brett Veach at the end of the first round. The fact that they got the two first round picks, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. You got two first round picks and you've been to four AFC championship games in a row and two Super Bowls. I mean, they're playing with house money. So that's where I just look at it and go, man, it's awesome. And you know, they're going to be able to get kind of just like play the round out, let it go. Oh, wait, maybe we need to make a move. They can do that. Or they're just going to get it like full. They're going to get like the leftover like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this guy's here at the end of the first round. The Chiefs are going to get him. Uh, so I, I would love to be Brett Veach. Last one for me, and I actually made it my first pick. I'm going to put on my F Them Picks t-shirt. I'm going to go to my draft house. I'm going to hang out and wait for my Super Bowl ring to show up because I'm less Sneed. And I don't need any of this crap. I already got a pretty good team. This is really house money. I'm hanging out at the draft house. I'm having a good time. I'm finishing off the bottle of 1942 that Matthew Yummy. Stafford was carrying around at the Super Bowl parade. So the, the rest of you idiots can work this weekend. I'm taking a break. That's what I would do. Well, he's still got to kick butt in the mid-rounds. Yeah, he'll do all right. Yeah, We're done. They do. See you tomorrow. See ya. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.